Today's message originated in the pulpit of Covenant Community Church by lead pastor Alan Ellis. Covenant Community Church lives to glorify Christ by making disciples who are growing in relationship with God in worship, then with the church in fellowship, and with the world in witness. Now, here's today's message. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and the job for uh, the preacher on the first Sunday of Advent is to strike a note of dissonance without becoming hopeless. Uh, one of the themes of the first Sunday in Advent, you can see the first candle is lit. That is the theme of hope. And so in the midst of our preparation for his coming, we want to prepare not in a hopeless way, not saying, well, you know, I'm not ready for this. They're not ready uh, for yet for primetime players. I'm not prepared, and so I just give up. But we, we do have to um, strike that note of uh, dissonance, but not in a hopeless way, hopefully uh, in a hopeful way. Our call to worship this morning was from uh, the book of Romans. And if you turn in your Bible to the 13th chapter of the book of Romans, we'll, we'll begin there. We're during the um, <clears throat> Sundays in Advent. We're taking a break from the life of David. And we're using the... Um, suggested scripture lessons from the lectionary. And this is a good thing and a necessary thing. But look in Romans chapter 13. This was the call to worship. In verse 11, this is from the ESV. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation, this is the reason why, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. William Hendrickson's translation of this verse is a little bit different. Uh, listen to this. He says, and do this, especially because you know how critical the time is. The hour has arrived for you to wake up from your slumber for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So in, in Hendrickson's uh, translation of this verse, then two critical commands are brought to our attention, and those commands are uh, to wake up and secondly to do this. Now it's hard to do something if you're asleep. How many know that's true? So we've got to wake up first, and then we've got to do this. This is really the note that has to be struck on the first Sunday of Advent, and it's why uh, the passage from the 24th chapter of the, of the Gospel of Matthew uh, doesn't really fit with what we think Christmas should be all about. We're, we're already anticipating the warm fuzzies of Christmas. And the first Sunday in Advent says, no, 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 you got to put that off for just a little bit. 
he's not quite here yet. And if he was here, he might show up like a thief in the night and you wouldn't be expecting him. You wouldn't be prepared with the proper response. And so the first Sunday in Advent, we kind of shift gears a little bit. The culture already, how many know the culture is already celebrating Christmas. I was in Home Depot early uh, Friday, oh, yesterday morning it was. And usually the Home Depot in Ferguson has got some, they got some bumping music going on at that Home Depot, but they were playing Christmas carols. And I I didn't uh, recognize the song, so I said to the cashier, I said, that music they're playing this morning is hopelessly white. And she started laughing. She said, well, I think it's Christmas carols. I said, oh, that, already, right? Before, even some stores before Halloween, they were, they were already getting out the Christmas stuff. And so in so many ways, trivial ways, but in so many ways, overwhelming ways, the culture has co-opted Christmas, used it for its own uh, secular purposes, and it's... Uh, the burden of responsibility then is on the church for us to regain the true meaning, um, to discount or to disregard uh, the secular emphasis on here, we're, we're going to ring the bells like Pavlov's dogs until you salivate so much you'll get your credit card out and buy something you don't need. How many know there is probably nothing that I need in my life that I would spend a whole day standing in line for on Black Friday. How many know that to be true? Apparently, everybody doesn't feel that way. Because you got people camping out in tents on the sidewalk at Target. Target, excuse me, for those of you who are offended. Target or J.C. Panay, those those high-quality goods that are all made in China, it doesn't matter what store they end up, that we know where they're made, we don't even have to look to see where they're made. And the culture, as Christy was saying, can get us into that uh, feeding frenzy, and we miss it. And the gospel passage is, is meant to make us understand, even as Paul is trying to make us understand, get out of that fuzziness, that liminal, uh, time that you're in where you don't know, you know, in the morning as the sun comes up, if you ever compare on your iPhone to when it says the sun comes up and when it actually gets light outside, there's this liminal or transitional time when you can't really tell whether there's more uh, darkness than light or more light, more sunlight than darkness. And most of us have good intentions when it comes to uh, Christmas and the proper celebration of Christmas, but we just need to be called out of that fuzziness. I will make the darkness light before you, is the promise of the prophet uh, Zechariah. And so that's what we intend to do on this first Sunday, for us to wake up and then as we come out of that liminal space, we do something about it. 
There's an interesting story that Jesus tells after this passage in Matthew chapter 24. It's in Matthew 25. If you turn there uh, with me this morning, the first uh, 13 verses, it's a, it's a relatively short story. But Jesus says in Matthew 25, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Not, not everybody in church is going to be on the same page. Uh, there, there are going to be some people who are, have emerged from the darkness into the light. There are going to be some people who are still in that liminal transitional space. And then there are some people who are just beginning to feel uncomfortable with the darkness. This rep, this represents the church. The church is, um, is a mixed bag if you haven't come to that conclusion already. The church is not, not everyone in the church is a perfect person. They're perfect in the righteousness of Christ. If they've come to Christ and accepted his sacrifice by faith, their judicial standing, juridically, if we want to put it that way, of course, yes, they're perfect because God looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ. But in practice, our practical standing, we're all in different stages of transition. And I think on the basis of this story, and I'm not going to push it too hard because you can't tweak a parable. You can over-tweak a parable. But I think this, I think that what Jesus is teaching here might justify this statement that there are, there are going to be some fools in church. There are going to be some unwise people in church. And if I wanted to over-tweak the parable, I'd say half y'all are fools. <laughs> but you would you would respond to that. You would protest and say, no, the half that are fools are still at home in bed. We're the wise ones. We came to church, okay? And you might have an argument there. There, there are some decisions that people make in the in the realm of spirituality, that can only be qualified as that was a foolish uh, choice that you made. I've done it. I don't think it would be arrogant of me to assume that you've done it. How many would admit that you've made some foolish choices in your life? Sure. And nonetheless, the passage says that there were ten virgins, if this is a picture of uh, the body of Christ, the church of the living God, then it shows us that God doesn't, uh, you know, he's, he's not like the soup Nazi. He doesn't say, you get out of line, no soup for you today. Um, he, he welcomes us, wise and foolish alike, into uh, the covenant. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. Nonetheless, we are held responsible for our choices. The story continues. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. Why were the five foolish? For Jesus gives us the reason when the foolish took their lamps 
They took no oil with them. Now, a lamp back then was probably what we would kind of, you ever see one of those gravy bowls that with a lid on top that you pour, had a handle on it, you pour the gravy out, kind of like a small teapot. It was probably made out of clay. So there was a reservoir in it for the oil, and there was a wick that was affixed to it, and you could light it, uh, carry it around like a lamp in, in the house at night. Uh, but but once the reservoir was emptied, um, then it had to be refilled. And Jesus is saying the five foolish had oil in their lamps, but they didn't have any reserve. How many have ever been there? You just felt like, you know, my the the light of Christ is just about to go out in my life, and I could use a refill. And you go for the refill, and you realize. I don't have any further resources. I'm running on empty or I'm running on fumes. Look at what Jesus says. The the foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. They were ready. They were prepared. They were prepared for uh, the possibility that they might be engaged in this waiting, the slow work of God, longer than... Uh, anyone might humanly anticipate. So, yeah, we've got oil in our lamps, but we're going to take an extra flask with us just in case. And Jesus said that that choice was the thing that divided the foolish from the wise. Verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, no explanation there, no apology. This is life. Uh, He doesn't show up when you expect him to. They all became drowsy and slept. Now all of them uh, slept. All of them went into uh, slumber. And this is what Paul is calling us out of. He said it's, it's not nighttime anymore. It's natural to sleep at night. But the sun is now risen and it's time to wake up. And it's time to do something. The night cometh, Jesus said in one place. The night cometh when no man can work. So if the light is shown on your pathway, then that, along with that, concomitant with that, is appropriate activity. It's not time to sleep now. It's time to wake up. It's time to get to work. But at midnight, Jesus said, and again, this is a story he's telling, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. So you can't always help people. You you may be a person that has got your spiritual formation, it's just perking along right up there in the 90 percentile group. And there may be people in your life that you would like to help, and you can't. Because as much as your parents may pray for you, it doesn't substitute for you praying for yourself. 
as much as the, the pastor uh, may plead for your soul, it, it doesn't translate. It's not the same currency of exchange there. You've got to do something about it. You've got to You've got to have that aha moment, that come to Jesus moment in your own life where you take responsibility for your own decisions and choices. And it's not improper, according to what Jesus said, for those who are wise to say, nope, uh, nothing I can do about that. I, I appreciate uh, the position you're in, and I, under, uh, I empathize with the despair, the depth of despair that you may be feeling, but... My preparations are my preparation. I can't prepare for somebody else. I can't save someone else. That's a pretty cold fact. Foolish said to the wise, nonetheless, it doesn't prevent them from pleading. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise said, no, we can't do it uh, because uh, it... It doesn't work that way, friend. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready with went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Here's the response. Here's the chilling response, by the way. But he answered, truly, I say to you, this, is, this should remind us of the end of the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. I do not know you. I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Most of us are content living in this transitional kind of liminal space where we have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, one foot in ordinary earthly time, and another foot searching around, dancing towards uh, eternity. And Jesus is warning us, telling us, that that will always get us into trouble. And, and this, is, this is the kind of dissonance that um, the people that put the lectionary together and the church calendar want us to experience on the first Sunday of Advent. That we could go, we could go all the way up to Christmas, celebrate Christmas through Christmas, get on the other side and really, really never get it. Really never understand what the point of Christmas really is. Frederick Dale Bruner says, to enter the kingdom, it is necessary not only to respond to the invitation to it, which is what all 10 of them did, to be a bridesmaid, to have some kind of experience or encounter with Christ, but one must also prepare for it, to bring oil in a separate flask, which we would describe as the obedience of faith. Martin Luther said, you know, the accusation against Martin Luther was, oh, you're in the easy believism, uh, Martin Luther. This is the Reformation, Martin Luther. You just say, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And so it's e easy believism. People just say, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And then Jimmy Swaggart says, you're saved. 
and Donnie Swaggart repeats you're saved and everybody claps their hands and everybody tells you that you're saved. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing and I'm not discounting that. But in that crowd of 10 virgins, there are five that are foolish and five that are wise. What was the difference? They went beyond, if there is any such thing as easy believism, they went beyond mere confession and decided that the oil of the Holy Spirit was more than just a temporary distraction, but that that it must be a permanent fixture in my life. So they criticized Martin Luther. You said they said, "Well, you're you're leading people astray by this heresy, this uh, by faith alone." that people are saved by faith alone. And Luther's response, one of them, uh, well, there's a, there are a multitude of responses on Luther, Luther's part, but one that's most memorable and most quotable. Listen to what he says. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this God-given faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It does not, not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done them, and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. Now, that kind of disturbs us a little bit because we say, no, 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 I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by my works. And now you're telling me that if I don't have works, that I'm not saved. You can't eat your cake and have it too, Pastor Allen. And it's a very thin line to walk. It is a very thin line to walk. This is why Luther says that faith is not something in air in our soul. It's not, it's not like going to the store and we buy size 11 triple E shoes off and then we take them home and we possess. Faith is not that way. Faith is a busy living active thing which cause, it is a, it is a fructifying faith, a fructifying faith. That means that it produces fruit in a person's life. And if there's no fruit in your life, the possibility exists that there may not be root, any root in your life. That you might not be rooted and grounded in Christ. And this, of all Sundays of the year, on the first Sunday of, the, of Advent, when the church calendar begins over again, this is a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Am I just faking it till I make it? Which that doesn't really work. How many know that really doesn't work in our lives? Or... Or I, am I really rooted in Christ and is there evidence for that rootedness by uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life? Bruner says, one-shot Christianity is misleading and finally fatal. It's, it's almost, I think, it almost produces aborted births in the kingdom where people are brought into the kingdom, but shortly thereafter, uh, because they have, they have nothing to sustain them, nothing to cause them to grow. No life-giving processes have been established in their life, not only just to show up and, and live for Christ until the oil in your lamp uh, runs out, but a further source, a deeper source, a richer source. 
It's not an easy message to hear. And particularly, it's not an easy message to hear when we're all all to do about Christmas. Bruner says, one-shot Christianity is misleading and finally fatal. You know what? I don't think, in 40 years of ministry, I don't think I've ever told anybody that they're saved. I think it's much safer for that person to make that confession themselves. And then when that person makes that confession, you know, I believe I am saved, not by anything that I've done, but solely on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross of Calvary. Then you see, that is the confession of faith that they are to cling to and to shape and to nurture until it produces fruit in their life. The lamp of experiential Christianity, Bruner says, without the flask, of discipled Christianity, that is to say, an experience of Jesus without obedience to his teachings betrays unbelief and will not find entrance into the end-time kingdom. The cross is a fructifying tree and will produce in those who cling to it the fruit of Christian life. How could it be otherwise? How could it be otherwise? When, When I was born again, the Holy Spirit, through... The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, directed by God the Father, planted in me a new life principle. How could it be any otherwise? It's not perfect. We, we want to see our progress in the Christian life going gradually uphill all the time. No, it's kind of a zigzag process, and some of us do more zigzagging than others. But nonetheless, when you turn around and look at the path that you've been uh, discipling yourself on, you should be able to turn around and realize that you are where you are at now is at least somewhere higher than where you began. And if it's not, then it is incumbent upon the believer, the disciples making the profession of faith to say, could it be that I've never had uh, I've never had anything but a kind of uh shallow experience with Christ and I've I've never had that real encounter that gives me a depth of resource in him. Well, that's the message for the first Sunday of Advent. And there's no sense in me going on and repeating more of that because either it would cause you to become discouraged and give up or it would cause you to examine yourself, to see, to be circumspect, to examine yourself, to see, to take the test, to see if you are actually in the faith. So I admonish us all, beginning with myself. My father told me, Most sermons that you will preach reveal a weakness in your own self. And it's because I feel that so keenly. So it is so easy. It is so easy to take uh, the path of less preparation. And yet Advent will serve. Here we have uh, the first Sunday of Advent. We have 
practically a whole month in front of us that we can prepare for Christ's birth in us again. Let's not forget Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if at Christmas time this year, all of us gave ourselves through the agency of the Holy Spirit that present of being born again, to have Christ truly and really present in our lives. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you call us, Lord, out of darkness into light. We're here this morning testifying to that fact, Lord. We know that the world and the ways of the world has an end, has a limit to its ability to give light. Yes, we enjoy certain aspects of the secular celebration of this world celebration of Christmas, but down deep in our hearts, we know that it has a limit, that it comes to an end. Once we go through the frenzy of buying everything, that the bill comes due. So it is in everything in this life. There's nothing for free. It all exacts a high price of payment. So we lift up our eyes today, Lord God Almighty, away from those mass weapons of distraction. We bow our knee and we ask you, Lord, baptize us with wisdom. Help us to prepare. Help us to be prepared, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Covenant Community Church, visit us online at www.covcomchu.org. That's covcomchu.org. Or give us a call at 314 314- At Covenant Community Church, it's our prayer that the preceding message has served to glorify Christ and further God's work in your life.